Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm John Mechanic. I'm here with Sam Coppola. And today we're taking it to the bank. We're talking about banks, lenders, and where they come into play in the film production process. Sam, do you want to lead us off? Well, right now, what we said is, where, where are we, right? You've actually papered all of your film, okay? In the sense that you ended up buying, the, getting the rights, okay? We're ready to exercise those rights. Uh, you've cast it. You've budgeted it. Then you found your financing. We found that financing. How? We got tax credits, but they're not money right away. Those are down the road after you produce and file your tax returns. You've gotten maybe some pre-sales from different jurisdictions, which is a set of contracts that you basically have that says that if you produce the film and you deliver it to me, I'll pay you some money for it. You may have some equity investors who put in some money. Those people may actually have put in money for you. You've put in some of your own money potentially. Um, and you may actually have missing a component where your budget is not completely financed. And we'll talk about how we solve that gap problem itself. But once you have all that paperwork, okay, now, we, like you said, we need to finance it or take it to the lenders and the banks. And the first people that you would want to take it to are the banks themselves because it's really your cheapest money when you're looking at it. The banks will probably lend you money in similar types of financing as what I would call a, a, a building construction loan. In other words, your film is like the building where you just bought the land, okay, and now you want to put this big building up and you need the money from a lender to be able to actually construct that building. You've just basically bought your story or you're, you're about to buy your story, which is your land, and then you're about to film, which is doing the production of the build, the construction of the building itself. And the banks that are involved are... Um, from any, any jurisdiction in the world, or basically here we're doing it through a Canadian uh, um, show here, and often our biggest interest comes from Canada. So the Canadian banks themselves, um, not every single chartered Canadian bank participates uh, or has a highly developed department. I would say to you that the um, Royal Bank of Canada, the National Bank of Canada, um, HSBC, um, the varying other uh, banks themselves um, uh, have and have a program and have people in the, the departments who know the industry. In a way, you have to know this industry. So the Canadian banks will typically lend against your tax credits, and they will typically lend against your contracts that you have often with Canadian broadcasters or Canadian uh, receivables themselves. The U.S. banks themselves are often probably the biggest lenders in the industry. And from our understanding, one of the biggest lenders in this industry is a company called, uh, a bank called City National Bank. Uh, most of these banks are either going to be located in uh, Los Angeles or uh, New York, where the major activity is. And again, those banks themselves will be lending against your tax credits, maybe U.S. tax credits that, that there are there. Sometimes the U.S. tax credits have to be financed in a different way. You're selling the credit itself, not necessarily going through a bank itself. But you often have, will those, have those receivables, so the banks will be financing the receivables. And if you um, are involved in any way in, outside the, the country or uh, North America, you have the international banks and the banks that do that. Uh, the one that I've had some experience in uh, France is the Natixis Bank. In the UK, it's Barclays Bank. 
Um, so many of these banks have departments because those departments have to know your business. If you're bringing to them a file that has specialized knowledge of how these mo this money comes to fruition and actually gets collected, it's just not your local branch manager that's going to be able to, you know, you take it and you say, I, I, I'm buying a house down the street, lend to me on a mortgage. You actually need people that know the entire business to be able to actually finance it. Well, and what's interesting yes. there is, you know, the banks, the teams that make up their film and entertainment or media practice groups, the bankers who are part of those groups, a lot of them aren't bankers by trade, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of them are former production mm -hmm. execs, producers, mm -hmm. entertainment lawyers, accountants, MBAs, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's very diverse and it's people who have seen the industry from different perspectives, right? But who are you know, largely grounded in that industry rather than coming from the top down. Um, so these are who the players are, right? The question is, okay, we know that they finance films, but how do they do it? And as bank counsel, we're typically involved on these single picture financing transactions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Now, I think before we were looking at a sample closing checklist. Do you want to maybe pull that up? Yeah, the, let's let's look at it because what is it that the bank will ask for, um, or and 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 why and so forth? It's all a question of risk management. In other words, what's occurring is you're bringing to them a series of agreements and rights, okay? And they have to assess the risk of collecting that money. So if you look here, we have something that was uh, uh, published by the European Film Bond Company, okay, which is a completion bonder. So the completion bond we had mentioned, this is an entity that covers the risk of completing the film. So the first major risk that a bank runs is, hey, yes, producer, we believe you, okay? If you finish your film, you will get these tax credits, you will get these pay payables and receivables that you're expecting, and all these funds will come through. That means that the completion risk becomes one of the biggest critical risks in actually getting the, the financing. And there are companies out there, which are, this one is called European Film Bonds. There's uh, film finances out of the, the US and the uh, Canada and the UK. Uh, they're varying completion bond companies, and that bond company its own checklist was very similar to what the banks were looking for, which is how do we reduce the risks involved in actually cash flowing? So why don't we just flip through this yeah. very quickly, just to give an uh, some uh, the viewers out there yeah. a bit of an idea. But the closing checklist that we put together, there is crazy diversity in terms mm -hmm. of the extensiveness. Each deal of these is different. Yeah. Each deal is different. The number of items, right? We've done mm -hmm. deals where the closing checklist is like a page or two pages, maybe 10 items. And we've done deals where the closing agenda is like a hundred pages. Yeah. Now that latter case is very, very exceptional. Um, well, it starts with your shooting script and synopsis now, because that one is somebody who's analyzing the actual script. And it's also what we call your, your, your chain of title. Right. And okay. these are all your production documents. The budget right? is the most important, right? Because the budget is how much you need to do the film. The, uh, there are department budgets. There's a finance plan. The moment you know the finance plan, the financial structure, that immediately tells you where all the risks are. If you've got one person financing, right, a film, that's a complexity of one. 
or a simplicity of one. The moment you have two entities financing a film, it's doubled the complexity. If you have three entities, it quadrupled the complexity. So the more entities you have in your finance plan, you've got seven or eight entities that are you need to collect from to actually make your film. It's eight to ten times more complex. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the uh, cash flow tells you when do you need the money. The preparation, the calendar tells you uh, as the production is going to uh, proceed. There are weekly cost reports. Uh, which are required because, in other words, the bank needs to know that you're actually spending the money that it's lending to you. Um, and then there is the completion bond that has to come on board that has to actually be at risk. Um, from a legal standpoint, you're going to need production insurance and E&O insurance, the signed agreements for essential elements. In other words, if your film requires that you have these two actors in there, you're going to need essential elements insurance and possibly the agreements that show it. Um, There are talent deal memos and long forms, all of the financing agreements. Um, We had mentioned that there often when you're doing your production, you're selling your licensing, your films. So there'll be either a sales agency or distribution agreements that come through. Um, Then you've got maybe the major production agreements. There's a delivery schedule um, there's a lab pledge holder agreement. There's an inter-party agreement, a collection agency agreement. We're going to into more details on this thing. There's a production bank account and there's, you know, guild union residuals and union that comes in on this thing. So that was a very quick uh, list of what uh, are the major areas when we're doing a bank financing all needs to come together. But just to drill in, I think it might be helpful to run through like the five or six key documents. Mm-hmm that will prepare as part of a financing, right? Mm-hmm. So most financings will share in common the following elements, right? Mm-hmm. There will unequivocally be an offer letter or a loan agreement. And mm-hmm. what that document does is it says, and, and again, oversimplifying tremendously here, we're gonna loan you this much. This is gonna be our interest rate. Mm-hmm. Here's when we're expecting repayment, signed below the line. Mm-hmm. Far more complex than that, but those are kind of your key terms. Mm-hmm. The next point is, like you mentioned, right? This is very akin to a construction loan. What do you see in a construction loan? Progress. In in Quebec, it's a hypothetic. In North America, outside of Quebec, that's a mortgage, right? So the bank is going to want to take a security pretty much on all the assets of the company. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the the security or the collateral will be just limited to the film. Mm-hmm. It really depends. Outside of that security, sometimes they're going to say, okay, we have security from the Prodco, but we want a guarantor, mm-hmm. right? You see that too in the real estate world, right? Well, essentially why is because often when you're creating your film production company, you are actually incorporating a new company. And that company, the only asset it has is the film. So the bank usually likes, or the lenders, right, will usually want to have something more than just that film production company that has that one asset as the film, which doesn't exist yet. And that's why you call these things single purpose or single picture vehicles, right? Because they exist for the purposes of producing that one picture. Now, interestingly, one thing that I learned from you is that very often, like that's the norm in North America, that in Europe, mm-hmm. they're less by the book about that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But so that guarantee will come into play from time to time, depending on what the bank wants. 
Now, then after that, you have these other documents which help uh, perfect your security, right? Mm -hmm. You have a copyright mortgage, which is a mortgage against the copyright. It's a second mortgage. Yeah. You're essentially mortgaging twice. The one asset, the specific mortgage, which is the copyright, and the other one is all assets. Right. In Canada, it's viewed more as belts and suspenders. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., based on our conversations with U.S. counsel, it's actually necessary to perfect your use, your U.S. Your actual security, security in the intellectual property. Of and vis-a-vis yeah. -vis any receivables derived from mm -hmm. that copyright, which are like your tax credits, your distribution proceeds, anything derived from the mm -hmm. film. Now, after that, after your security documentation, the question becomes, okay, what are we financing? Because depending on what we finance, we may need different documentation. It's the finance plan. Exactly. Yeah. So if your finance plan says, okay, we're relying on these tax credits, we're relying on Quebec, provincial mm -hmm. uh, services tax credits, and Canadian federal provincial services tax credits, we have documentation, which is pretty much unequivocally required, which gets sent to the various government authorities. Right. And typically what it says, it'll say a bunch of different things. But the main kind of point is, hi, government, please pay the bank these tax credits rather than pay the producer, because we're going to advance uh, the value of those tax credits or like, let's say, 90 percent of the value of those tax credits two years before these monies even mm -hmm. come in. Now, the if tax credit is not receivable and your your debtor is the government. And the government of Canada, and even the the, the 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 crown, is not bound by just a security document, and so it's actually quite a call it trust type of financing where the banks come in and will lend it to you against these tax credits. The main reason is because it's been done before. When they actually started these tax credit legislation, and there was a, a section in the Income Tax Act that was introduced. We looked at it and we said, this is not financeable because it, the, the crown is not bound by the, more, the hypothec or the mortgage or the security interest of the bank. They act to modify the actual Income Tax Act to make it assignable and financeable. Once you do that, you actually need what is called an absolute assignment to actually make that enforceable against the government. We don't tend to do the absolute assignment because of the fact that if you do the absolute assignment, then the bank takes it the position of the producer. It doesn't want to complete the film. It wants the producer to complete the film. All it wants is to get the money after it's done. So there's a whole series of documentation that is put in place, not that complex, but at least covers this risk. One of the elements of that is the fact that you actually don't know how much the tax credit is. You have to rely on the producer to have done his, the, the calculation so the banks will require experts like accountants or other people who know the industry to actually give a comfort opinion. So if we're saying that we got a million dollars of tax credits, the bank will say, you're either going to get yourself a ruling from the government agency that certifies it, that tells you that you have a million dollars of tax credits, or you'll have an accountant who is specialized in this area that we trust that can give us an opinion that, this, that there will be roughly a million dollars of tax credits. Right. So those are your tax credits. What's the other receivables that are coming in? Well, pre-sales, uh, distribution fees, like a broadcast license fee, and also funds that we were talking about earlier in a previous episode. 
And what do we require? What kind of documents do we require typically for those kinds of receivables? Well, they go by different names and they have slight nuances, but over there in this, in this respect, we're talking about an A and D, an assignment and direction. Or an NOA. Or an NOA, yeah, a notice thing. of assignment and acceptance. Yeah. And those documents, while they do a ton of things and like an NOA, your standard IFTA NOA is what, 12 pages or something? The key, key point in there, again, very similar to what we do with tax credits, it says, hi, distributor, please pay us the MG and don't pay it to the producer because yeah, like we're saying, financing the MG. If we have, you know, film producer who basically says to John, hey, John, don't pay me, pay Sam. And that's essentially what's happening. John had agreed to pay the film producer $100, let's say, and John and the film producer went to Sam to get financing. The, the film producer and Sam are going to tell John, please pay me. If I'm really concerned, I want John to sign that so that I, I know he's agreed that he's going to pay me. Hold when, on. Hold on. Who do we owe money to? What? Who do we owe money to? We, we owe money to... I'm, I'm the bank. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in, this, in this situation. Uh Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what it's, you're... It, it's essentially, don't pay me, pay me, pay the other. Exactly. Don't pay me, pay the other. And here's one other document, and it's going to be a nice segue into, uh, into our, kind of our final point here. Very often, there's actually going to be two financiers on a picture, mm -hmm. two banks, maybe a bank and a, and a private financier, what will be referred to as a non-institutional lender sometimes. And... It's very important, especially for the lender who is later in time, who is coming later to the game, to, to regulate their relationship with that other lender in a way that is acceptable to mm -hmm. them. And that's where we deal with documents like an intercreditor agreement, right? Because there are two creditors and they need to enter into an intercreditor as between themselves. Sometimes you'll have something called a session of rank, which is more of just the two lenders kind of inverting their priority or see one seeds their rank of security vis-a-vis -vis the other. And these are incredibly important documents. Let's put that in context. In other words, I go to the Canadian bank and I tell the bank I've got these Canadian tax credits, right? And then I have all these sales that I did worldwide or at least a few different uh, territories, and I go to another bank or my partner, which could be my co-producing partner, has those receivables, yet we're producing one film. The partner is, is getting financing, let's say, from a French bank, and you're getting financing from a Canadian bank. Both of us are going to have what we call the collateral that belongs to each other as the first priority, and then the collateral that we share, which is the film itself. And that's why those two lenders have to agree between themselves who's on first, what's on second, how do we share second and third and, and so forth. Um, we, we, um, that, that's a very complex situation. I think that one requires even further analysis. And I think we, when we're going to do a, a sample, we'll go through a little bit of that aspect of it right now. But what we just said was, okay, so I've got security, okay, on the asset, the film, I've got security on the, the receivables, okay, which is what I need. And then how do I enforce those and perfect those? That's the main component of covering those risks themselves. 
one of the things that, that come into risk is what happens if the film doesn't get completed? So insurance, right? Which is they require the fact that the insurance company itself would pay not the uh, producer, but would pay the bank itself. So they take the policy of insurance and you actually assign that policy. So those are another way. The, the, like I said, it's all a question of looking at all the different risks that you have when you're involved in a financing and making sure that those risks are covered. Now, we also mentioned that we, we, that we got all our film financing, but it doesn't always happen that easily, right? In other words, we had all of our paperwork, right, together. And when you look at our, my finance plan, we're all financed, okay? But I went to the bank or I went to another lender or whatever, okay? And, or we went to two banks, okay? And these banks are saying, yes, we'll lend against you, but we need all these things to come in place. We saw how long that list was that we needed to, to achieve, right? And on my side, my film has to start tomorrow morning or next week. Why? Because my actor is only available and I need to make a pay or play offer, put money up the next week. I'm in a dilemma here because the banks usually take maybe four to six weeks or the lenders will take maybe three to five weeks or so, okay, to actually close all of this stuff together. They have to get all these documentation, security, searches, registrations, and so forth, and get all these notices out there and assignments and so forth to all these distributors. That takes time. I don't have the time. That's called, I'm in a bridge situation, right? What happens in that bridge? I need somebody to put up money. And you'll end up getting other institutions who actually lend bridge money because the bank won't bridge itself, right? Well, the way the, and the term bridge is, a, it, there's a really nice visual, visual right there, right? Which is you basically need a, you're six weeks out from the time or four weeks out from the time where a bank can close. Mm -hmm. You need a bridge that goes from point A to point B so you could start making your movie right yeah. now. Mm -hmm. And once you get to point B, the bank will be ready to close. Mm -hmm. And it uh, will supersede or take the place of the bridge lender. Yeah. And there, so you have institutions that come in, okay, lenders, usually private types of lenders that are probably backed by funds, okay, that will be more expensive. So in other words, if you're looking to borrow money from a film bank, right, you may be paying I don't know, four, four, five percent, six percent, and so forth, interest type rates. If you're going to a bridge lender, you're looking at 15 percent. You may be looking at 20 percent type of cost of money, but it's short term. So if you need two million dollars only to get you from point A to point B, which is the money you need in your in your cash flow to get to point B, okay, you'll borrow not your full amount. You'll borrow just what you need, and you'll pay, let's say, a premium of. 10, well, 20, maybe 15 to 20% of that. So it may be a few hundred thousand dollars that you need to bridge yourself to close with the bank. And that couple of hundred thousand dollars will cost you $40,000 or so, but it's part of your budget. And it allows you to actually start the film because it's time critical. So that's one component, which is completing that first part of the financing. The other component was that we got all of our financing together. We got the tax credits in, okay? But the bank is financing 90% of the tax credits, not 100% of the tax credits. And the bank may not finance 100% of your film receivables, only a percentage of those. 
and maybe all of your receivables, okay, themselves aren't enough to actually pay all the production costs. You're missing something. We had talked about that. That was called a gap. There are institutions who will gap lend against that. And there are U.S. banks and international banks that will actually do the gap lending also. And how big that gap is how they describe it. So if it's a regular gap, maybe it's 10%, 15%. If it's a bigger gap, like 20% or more, or 25% or 30%, that's called a super gap. And that gap lender, okay, is also someone who will require security, right? And also receivables, uh, uh, you know, the assignment of receivables. But that gap lender isn't lending against an hard asset. The bank has the actual asset and the agreements. The gap lender doesn't have any of that. So the gap lender has to put into place not only just a security agreement, but has to basically drive the revenues that they're gapping. And who generates those revenues? Well, you're the producer, right? You own all the distribution rights to all the territories that you didn't sell. I'm a gap lender. Maybe I don't trust the producer enough. I want to know that there's a sales agent or someone else who's making sales, okay, that's going to tell me, hey, Mr. Gap Lender, you're gapping a few hundred thousand dollars or you're gapping uh, whatever, $500,000 of this film. We project that we will make at least a million dollars of sales from all those territories. So the Gap Lender is saying, well, I'm advancing $500,000. This sales agent, who I know, okay, is telling me this film's going to make a million dollars. I got coverage two to one. It's usually what they're looking for in a gap situation, right? Why? Because there's no hard asset. There isn't a contract that says, yes, I will pay you $500,000 or multiple contracts. So that then becomes the driving factor and the, the, and the, and the component. Now what you're looking at, you've got a bridge lender on one got a bank who's bank financing and you got a gap on this side some of them are the same people often it's more than one people that's when we came into this issue of double banking right so what else do we have left in uh in banking i think that just about does it no well on the when you talk about the word banking it's all about what we call the financing which is getting you the money or showing you the money or getting that money to you such that the film producer is able to actually produce the film. And that is, it's, it's again, a series of, you know, contracts, which is based upon security law itself, based upon intellectual property itself, based upon the, the contractual relationships that the parties have between themselves, depending on who's involved on it, okay? And making all of those elements come together so that we call it a financial closing themselves. Um, one of the ways that some other, um, the, the other risks that are involved is all of the people who you were involved in, right? Who had to come together, okay? They basically financed this film on the basis of the promise that you were gonna pay them. Some of them will be tax credits that you don't have to repay, but remember we talked about hard money or risk money, okay? Those people will require that somehow they're assured that when money comes in, they'll get paid. So they basically bring in another component, which is called a collection risk. And the collection risk is covered by the collection agent or a collection agency agreement. So in other words, 
who are the main actors involved? Your producers, you may have a co-producer, you may have a fund that is sharing part of the, the, uh, the risk with you. You may have some equity investors themselves. All of those people, and there's unions that have their union residuals that are due. All those people want to know that when those sales occur, as they occur, all that money gets marshaled together into one, uh, one collection account. And that basically you have a third party who manages that account and says, okay, you guys have signed a collection agreement that says the first monies that come in, who do they go to? Well, remember what we said. There was a gap involved. Okay, first monies goes to the gap. Second monies goes to whom? Oh, the bank that came in because this money was financed by a contract. The third monies goes in, oh, we had some people who deferred some of their fees. They want to collect after that. And the fourth money goes in, we have the investors that came in and the co-owners and the, and the, um, the, 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 the funds that we're sharing. So all of that is called a waterfall. That waterfall is all governed by a contract usually called the collection agency agreement. And that gives people confidence that it's not the producer that they have to chase to get paid from based their, their contracts that are in, involved in there. Right. And those are very lengthy agreements, those CAMAs. Well, the CAMAs is a lengthy agreement because you have to get it all right. Especially, remember, as I said, one person finances, simple. Two, double. Three, six times more. Four times more. Five, six times more. Because... All of your contracts have different agreements. And how do I make that fit into how do your rank here ranks here? Your agreement says this. Oh, you rank here. This agreement says that. So all of a sudden, the camera is where everyone will focus on and they will come together and say, yes, we all agree that the first monies go here or this money from this source goes here and that money from that source goes there. And basically, this brings order to what essentially is a series of contracts that are disparate and would make very difficult management to be able to pay them all off. It's really like having a bunch of puzzle pieces and trying to get them to fit together all at the same time mm -hmm. in the right way. Mm -hmm. That's the way I view mm -hmm. bank closings or financial closings. Mm -hmm. and, uh, on and the other complex document is the interparty. And the reason the interparty is complex is not because it's such a, com a complex, um, call it concept, to put your wrap your head around. I'll give you an example, okay? So we said Bank A financed the tax credits and Bank B financed the, let's say, the international contracts themselves. Um, essentially, and there could be a gap or there could be somebody else that's involved in this situation, Okay. What the interparty is saying is, hey, I will, okay, agree to stand still. In other words, if both of us have security on this asset here, what says that you won't take this asset? Well, I'm the one that's supposed to collect from the credits. You can grab the film and all of a sudden I lose. I can potentially lose money. The same thing with you. You have to trust me that I won't grab this film either, this common asset, okay, and affecting your receivables. So the inter-party, okay, or inter-creditor agreement, okay, has to make, make sure that everybody's rights are respected and that when, that, in other words, one party won't do something that will uh, adversely affect the other party. 
So even though, like you had said, you're inverting rank or you're agreeing that they can collect from there or they're agreeing that you can collect from there, the fact that they have security on an asset actually has impact, which requires people to agree and see the risks that are involved in there. Again, an assessment of risks. And each of those risks, because of the fact that we've had to deal with them, has a way of being resolved, okay? And it gets complex because of the fact that there are so many people's rights in there. If you include people like a completion bond in there who has the right to take over the film, if he takes over the film, what happens? Well, is he going to pay off the bank or is he going to complete the film? All of a sudden, you now have a completion agreement and the completion bond company that has these rights that, are, that have to be properly administered or properly acted upon with the consent of everybody to be able to actually complete the film. Great. So I think with all that done, where are we now? Well, we have one, another couple of risks that we didn't identify, okay, is some of the extraneous risks outside of this. For instance, I have a film that I'm selling to Thailand or somewhere. The distributor itself is not trustworthy. I can't get gap, okay, on it because the gap is expensive and so forth. There's a, a varying other institutions that can actually ensure a receivable. In this case, you have what is called in Canada the Export Development Corporation. You have some of these XM banks in different states. What they're doing is they're providing you a risk again. They're reducing that risk is the credit worthiness of the receivable. In most cases, that credit worthiness is the bank that made the decision on their own, and they're taking that risk with the A and D, with the credit worthiness. But if they don't trust that entity who's going to make the payment, then you can ensure that receivable by having it go to an institution which uh, offers that insurance, and the bank then can finance that receivable itself. All of this is all risk. All of these risks, again, we have to trust everybody. If you, when you look at it, most of the time, it all happens very seamlessly. No problems occur. The producer does the the, the producer produces the film, delivers each of the uh, of the uh, uh, puts it together, delivers it over to the distributors and so forth, and then everybody gets their collection. If there's ever a problem, okay, that's when you have all of these agreements that become important. Most of the time, it happens with everybody uh, doing it without that having that problem. It's when you have issues and problems that those agreements become relevant. Right. So we've talked about development, developing a film, producing it, delivering it, distributing mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. financing it, right? Which happens right before production, mm -hmm. sometimes stretches into production. So I think we've really done a pretty comprehensive survey here of all the different steps. So I think the next step, which we, sh we're, which we're going to address in the next episode is running through an example. Yeah. Because it, 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 we've been talking a lot without having to show it. And in one specific example, maybe by going through one, you'll hopefully, if you followed us through some of this and haven't been um, completely uh, bored and requiring extra caffeine to come through with us over here, um, hopefully when you see it in an example, it becomes e more easier to understand. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Stay tuned. Thanks.